it's now time for our second panel member. Um, I'd like to introduce Chris H. from Coolum Beach, Australia to speak for 15 minutes. All right, his reading from the big book is um, from page XXVI, and it says in the doctor's opinion, in this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And again, I'd like to now welcome Chris H. from Coolum Beach, Australia to share for the next 15 minutes. Yeah, good day, everyone. My name's Chris Hertz and I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the men's group in Malulabar, which is in Queensland, Australia. So welcome from down under. I'll try and speak slowly because apparently we don't speak English down here. <laughs> so I've been told. I have a sobriety date, the 20th of the 12th, 1990. And for that, I'm truly grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous and the power grader move. I've been sober this long. I feel like a flyweight on the undercard to a heavyweight title fight um, with all the best fighters to come. And, and then, then you've got me. So uh, it's all uphill from here. It's truly an honor. And uh, I want to thank the committee for um, certainly um, asking me to speak on, on, uh, on this panel. Step one, you know, it seems to be, and I've heard that a few people say for a long time around the show, that the longest journey begins with the first step and it's usually the hardest and the most difficult. And, um, and certainly for me, that was the case. Um, you know, Father Martin talks about that the hardest to grasp is the obvious. And it seems to me that, you know, my alcoholism was obvious to everyone around me bar me. Um, you know, I kind of suspected that that alcohol was the problem in my life, but it was more obvious to everyone else around me. And uh, it certainly wasn't obvious to me, um, but I should have seen the warning signs. You know, I remember one of the first big drinks I had in the readings about this physical factor, um, you know, and, and I didn't understand that till I was about three years sober. And you may think, geez, that's, that's a bit slow. Why didn't you pick that up earlier? But I didn't, I couldn't understand what it was that, that, that differentiates me from the so-called normal drink. And, um, you know, the first big drink that I ever really did have, I um, was at a um, football club um, party one night and um, I think I was 16 years of age and, um, and, and I remember going there and I, I couldn't buy alcohol because I was too young. So I got some older girls to buy alcohol for me and, um, and they bought 12 cans of beer, I think it was at the time. And, and I don't remember a great deal about that night, but I certainly remember drinking those cans of beer very, very quickly and, and blacking out and, um, and waking up in the change rooms of the, of the toilets or the bathroom. And, um, and, and I vomited profusely, they reckon, for about two and a half. And I was lucky I didn't die then because I, I was lucky I didn't, you know, drown in my own vomit. And, and I remember the long ride home thinking to myself, I never ever doing that again. I felt so sick and sorry for myself, and um, and I love a dollar for every time I said that over the next ten years. And I, that that you know 
sums up pretty much my drinking career, you know, early days. And that's, that's really what happened pretty much every time I drank. I always drank to excess. I never really had one or two. It was always, once I started, I, I didn't seem to have an, an off button as I've been, as I've heard over the years. You know, I just, I had that thing called the phenomenal craving, although I didn't know it was a phenomenal craving at the time. It just seemed to me that it tasted really good and, and I wanted more and, um, and no one drank as quickly as I did and and I and I couldn't work that out and um, you know I desperately wanted to be able to drink because it seemed to bring out the best part of me it brought out the, the person in me that I always thought that I should be you know it made me bigger tougher um, made me be able to dance with the girls it made me be able to to, to talk to the girls it made me be able to play pool it, it, it seems to gave me all these things that I couldn't do on my own power and uh, and so you know all I had to do was um, you know try and grasp not to drink so much that I that I didn't get into blackout and vomit but I but I failed every time you know and, uh, and that was a battling thing for me why it was that I you know I was always there you know I had friends that would come to the bars and they would have four or five drinks and go home you know and, and, and I'd go there and, and they'd be leaving to go home and, and, and I'd be there till closing and looking for the next party and the next party and the next party. And I couldn't understand this. And, you know, I drank for 10 years from the ages of 16 to 26 and, um, and I couldn't work out why it was that I went downhill so quickly. And I, I drank it with a lot of older guys and, and, and people who've been drinking for a long, long time. And, uh, and I couldn't work out why I was getting into so much trouble with it why it was that I, I sort of had no control over it and why it was that I finished up in places that I didn't want to finish up in. And, um, you know, it was a constant battle daily to wake up thinking I've done it again, I've done it again. And, uh, and that became part of my drinking life very, very early. You know, I I'd, I'd picked up a wife and kids along the way and, and, um, and put them through torture, you know, and, uh, and I didn't see it. I, I could not see it. As I said, you know, the, the truly, you know, it's hard to grasp the obvious and I didn't see the obvious, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous at the age of 26 on the 20th of December, 1990. And I, and I remember walking, you know, walking in the rooms and thinking, boy, it's all over now. You know, I, I, I couldn't work out how I'd gotten to AA. It just, it just seemed, you know, it just seemed beyond conceivable that I would be in Alcoholics Anonymous at this such a young age. And, uh, you know, the doctors had said to me a year before, you know, if you keep drinking the way you're going, you're not going to make 30. And, you know, I used to look at that and go, well, I've got four years or five years to go. I'll, I'll do something about it then. But, um, you know, I, was, I arrived at the doors, you know, 26. And uh, because I couldn't stand being drunk anymore and I couldn't stand being sober and, uh, and I didn't know what to do. And um, it turns out that that's a really good place to be. I didn't see it at the time. So, you know, I... I suffered from the delusion or illusion that um that drinking was the solution to my problems and um, and and i didn't i couldn't see a life without it and i couldn't see a life with it and uh, it turns out that's a really good place to be you know i well, i was at a surrendered state that i that i'd gotten to my first meeting and um and i remember sitting there and and um and listening to the stories and i, I kind of got a bit out of a few of the stories that I heard, but the one thing that I got, they were, they were talking about this day at a time thing. And I'm thinking that's all crap. They mean forever. And I, and I can't grasp forever because I can't perceive a life without alcohol. And, um, and, and so I left that meeting, you know, 
I don't know whether I got a great deal of hope from that meeting, but I certainly was thinking about a lot of stuff on the way home about, you know, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Because, you know, I couldn't stop drinking. And, uh, and, and my experience proved that along the way, you know, that every time I tried to stop, I'd, I'd give it away for a couple of days, but for some stupid reason, I'd always pick it back up again. And, um, and it didn't matter whether it was, you know, a sunny day, a rainy day, fighting with the wife, not fighting with the wife, arguing with the guys at work, not arguing with the guys at work, having a good day, having a bad day, you know, for some reason or other, my mind would give me permission to drink when I didn't really want to drink. And, and once I started, I couldn't seem to stop. And, and you know, I, I, I didn't fully understand the seriousness of, of that for a long time. You know, I was not honest, you know, I said I was in AA for, for three years before I understood that, you know, because I, I guess, you know, for the, for the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous, just go back 30 years ago, you know, the steps and and um, weren't really spoken about a lot, especially down in Australia, you know, and so, well, maybe they were spoken about, but I didn't hear it, you know, and because um, I looked at those principles upon the wall and they seemed a far cry from the way that I'd lived life and, and, and so I did, about the only thing I did right early days was do lots of meetings and, you know, I'd get asked to speak and I'd stand up and say, my name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic, not fully understanding the magnitude of what that meant. You know, I said it because everybody else said it. And I desperately wanted to fit in with you guys because I didn't fit in out there and I didn't seem to fit in anywhere. And so, you know, I used to say I was an alcoholic because everybody else did. And, um, you know, I had the three years of sobriety. I had what my sponsor calls the second surrender. And, you know, to some extent... That second surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous can be more powerful than the first one. You know, I was, I was three years sober. I'd put the drink down. I was white knuckling. I was angry. I was suicidal. I was all these things. And and but it wasn't supposed to be like that because I'd stopped drinking. And uh, I couldn't understand that. And, and and it turns out, you know, that's a really good place to be too because I have no options. I want to drink or I'm going to blow my brains out. And um, and blowing my brains out seemed like a really good idea, and that's a scary place to be. You know, I'm not going to drink, but I'm going to blow my brains out. And um, through a set of circumstances, you know, I, I, a guy saw that I was in a bit of trouble, and um, and that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, this guy saw I was in trouble and um, and come and pick me up and, and and drag me off to a big book study meeting. And you know, back in those days, that was a meeting that everyone told you not to go to or don't be going to that those kind of meetings. You know, and uh, but I was sick and tired of feeling the way that I was feeling, and, and I got to that big study meeting, and they were took, they were going through the doctor's opinion, and that reading that was read out was they you know talked about this that we seemed to have an allergy to alcohol, and and it was like someone had turned the lights on. It was like someone had, had walked into my darkness and turned the light on, and and. and all of a sudden, I got it. I sat bowl upright in the chair and I finally understood what it was, that what they were talking about, this thing that differentiates me from, from the so-called normal drink. You know, it's the only thing really that I have in common with everyone in this room today if I identify as an alcoholic. You know, we all do crazy stuff when we drink, but ultimately the one thing we all have in common is that, that we can't start drinking without developing that phenomenon of craving. And uh, as I said, I sat bowl upright because finally I understood why it was that you know every time i said i was only going to go and have, have a few drinks that i would i wouldn't make it home and, and uh, to that point i just thought i was a weak-willed guy that 
that um, that couldn't handle it, you know. And I, I've been strong-willed in every other area of my life. You know, people used to say, "I bet you can't do that, Chris," and I'd be able to do it, but with this, I couldn't. And for me, it was suddenly in you know all these years in Alcoholics Anonymous, it was finally explained to me why it was that I, I acted and behaved the way that I did when I drank. And it was, and it was, I just went, "Wow," you know. And it, and it started me on a on a journey, you know, to 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 get into those steps. Then, you know, it's um, it's it seems to be. You know, the depth and seriousness that I work the program depends upon the depth and seriousness that I accept step one. And it just seems to be that way, you know. And the more that I accept accept step one and the, and the deeper I have that experience is that it pushes me through the rest of the steps. And it was certainly the case with me three years sober. I had nothing left, absolutely nothing left. And uh, and, and I understood it. On that day, I understood the, the seriousness and the nature of what being powerless over alcohol meant. But I was, I come that close to picking up a drink. And, you know, and, and, and again, it explained, you know, and I, and I had experience after experience of that phenomenon of craving, but it, it just, it says when, you know, when the student's ready, the, the, the teacher will appear. And I, I heard it at, at that particular point in time. And, uh, you know, I remember I was out on a, on a, on a I, went, I went to a my wife's best friend's wedding, you know, and, and, um, and I can't tell you when I started drinking because I always had the drink before you went to the party, the drink at the party and the drink after the party. And, um, because of that phenomenon of craving and, and, and we spent all day at this, this wedding and we're out that night and, um, and, and I was pretty drunk and we were in a bar and, and got into a fight and, and me and this other guy and, um, and a guy who we were fighting with, you know, smashed a glass on the side of my face and cut me from, you know, either, either to the bottom of my jaw, you know. And I remember getting car, waking up on the way to hospital and, and lying in the hospital bed and the doctors are saying, you know, how much, how much have you had to drink today? And and, and not me giving him this blank look, you know, because I couldn't say a couple because that was my answer anyway. But the, the the seriousness nature of it was they needed to know how much I had to drink because they were going to give me an anaesthetic to try and you know save me face up. And and I couldn't tell him. And they're asking me wife, and she couldn't tell him either because I, I couldn't tell you any given day how much I've had to drink because I once I start I can't seem to stop. And uh, and um, and so they had to just give me a light sedation and, and put a few stitches in and, and, and they couldn't operate on me till the next day. And I, and I remember waking up the next day, you know, sick and sorry for myself and my mouth stuck together from that, that coming down off, you know, being hung over and, and shaking and shivering. And all I did, all I wanted was to have a drink of water because my mouth was that dry. And the doctor's saying, we can't give you that because we're going to operate on you in a few hours. And, and my father's standing at the foot of the bed and, and looking at me with that look in his eye, and that disdain look saying, you know, haven't you had enough yet? When are you going to realise? And, uh, and, and me, you know, feeling, sitting back, feeling low as low, thinking, you know, I've had enough, I can't keep doing this, you know. And, and that went on and on and on and on and on. And so I understood that day what powerlessness over alcohol was, you know, and it, and it seems to be that, you know, that I'm powerless over it when I'm drinking it because of that that phenomenon of craving and I'm powerless over it when, when I'm not drinking it because my life gets very unmanageable when I'm not drinking. I don't know how to do life. I don't know how to fit out there in the big wide world because, you know, I'd been drunk for the last five years of my drinking and that's the way I dealt with and coped with life. And, uh, and, and certainly I didn't, could not understand, you know, how to live life without alcohol. You know, I'd white knuckled it for three years in alcoholics and all and, and so, you know, I was in a perfect position and I'd surrendered to the fact that, you know, if I don't do anything about the, these steps, I'm going to drink again. And then to drink with me, I'd certainly, I, I was going to die. And, and 
So, you know, that well, I, I was later on to come to understand that that's what they call a first step experience. And, um, you know, as I said, people have it a lot quicker than that. I certainly had it at three years and, and, and certainly compelled me into, into um, doing the rest of the steps and, 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 and attacking those steps with a, with a vigour that I'd never thought that I would, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I just, and I urge, you know, and I, and I try and share my experiences when I'm trying to help you know, new guys about, you know, it, it says in the book that, you know, that someone properly armed with the facts about themselves can generally, generally win the entire confidence of another human being. And, and, and I guess that's what happened to me through this guy, you know, and, uh, and by him sharing his experience on, on what powerless meant to him, I was able to get touched within my heart from, from, for me to have that experience. And, uh, you know, I, um, step one off, there's no hope, you know, it's, it just shows me how hopeless I am and, and the hope comes from, from step two. So, you know, I was glad I was in that position. What, I, I, in all the years I've been around, what seems to be the worst things that have happened to me in sobriety turned out to be the best things that happened to me in sobriety. And that was the worst thing that I could see was happening in sobriety. I was suicidal three years, but it turned out to be the best thing and turned out to be the launching pad for me to move on with the rest of the steps. So, um, I'd like to thank you for allowing me to share and thanks very much, guys.